This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass Matt Ryan today is looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by Nick Stevens in the, I guess that would be the uh, the the co-host, co-pilot chair. That's right. Nick. Playing the part of Nick Stevens this week will be Nick Stevens. Found out we have more maps, uh, more pins to stick in more maps over the last week. Not only Germany and Japan, as we discussed last week, thanks to my nephews, but I heard from Finland, Mexico, uh, and I want to say somewhere else, maybe Italy in in uh, Europe. Abastanza, so, bene. Yeah. We're, uh, Look at this. We're going... Gl- Global, global. It is I, going global. It is now. I, I think it's safe to say this podcast is a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I'm anyway. Map maps uh, and pins are us. We're we're gaining. Got a good podcast lined up uh, for our week 14 in the NFL. Um, our guest in about 15 minutes is going to be none other than Don Yee. Patriots fans know that name. Of course, he has represented Tom Brady as Tom's agent uh, ever since Tom hit the league in 2000. He has Julian Edelman. He has Jimmy Garoppolo. He used to have a, like a whole monopoly in the Patriots locker room. Josh Boyce, a uh, bunch of guys. Um, but I think it's down to Edelman and Brady and then Garoppolo in San Francisco. Don is um, somebody I've known and... Um, it covered, I guess is the right word, since 1991 when I was covering the Bucks for the St. Petersburg Times. He had a first-round draft pick that year. Uh, he represented Charles McRae. Some of you might remember that name way, way back. A big old Tennessee farm boy offensive tackle that the Bucks took in the first round, top 10. Um, and I got to know Don, so 26 years ago. Um, and it has been a very good contact to have ever since. But Don's got a number of things going on. Not only is he involved in this really interesting developmental league that uh, was announced last January called the Pacific Pro Football. Um, it's going to be four teams based in Southern California. It's going to be hopefully beginning in 2018. We'll find out if that timetable is still on. But it's for players not yet eligible for the NFL, but maybe they don't want to go to college, and they're going to forego college ball. And it's it's going to be kind of a developmental league for the NFL. We'll let Don explain more about that. And then he also has, and I think this is a really cool idea, started a new website called headcoachranking.com. And um, in full disclosure, I'm actually contributing some um, NFL content to that website. But what it is is basically – you know, Pro Football Focus, Nick does analytics mm-hmm. for everyone's performance. I think one of uh, Don's clients is uh, sitting atop Pro Football Focus this week. Is it? Tom Brady. All right. Yeah. I could have guessed that. Number 12. Anyway, this is like an analytical site for head coaches. Every 
head coaching performance in the NFL broken down in each game, both sides um, of the field, both coaches, uh, in five different categories, like play calling and personnel utilization and clock management. So your line about Andy Reid is what? Uh, that Andy Reid uh, should have been disqualified. Disqualified. Right. Did not yes. finish. No. A DNF. No, actually, the, he had to get his uh, stats in on time, but he failed to do so. <laughs> Poor Andy. <coughs> but I'm actually looking at the site right now, and Andy is in the top eight, so that would be the upper tier at headcoachranking.com. And look who's sitting right there at number one. Shocking. Double B. That's right. <laughs> anyway, we'll let Don break uh, that down more. Uh, but he's got a lot going on besides representing the GOAT um, and all the uh, many things that the GOAT is involved in. But we've got a lot of football to talk before we get to our guest this week. And uh, I don't even know where to begin with that Monday night mayhem that we saw in Cincinnati in that uh, Steelers-Bengals game. But I will say the two words that came to mind were vicious and brutal, as vicious and brutal a football game as I've watched in a long time. As nauseating and upsetting a football game as I've watched in a long time. And normally I associate those words with the passion I feel as a fan when my favorite team or a team that I happen to be rooting for loses. I haven't experienced uh, the word that the two of us put to it before the podcast, such a visceral reaction to a game before. This isn't the get-off-my-lawn phase of my life or the show. This isn't just because I'm going to come at it with one of those. You know, Don, as a father takes, I hated that game. I hated it so much. I hated Ben Roethlisberger's reaction after the game. Oh, it's just AFC North football. Then get it out of here. I don't want to see it. I don't think fans like to see that kind of football. I think that actually lowers the quality of the product. I know it shortens lives. I wish I agreed with you. I I don't I, know that I, I believe fans don't like to see mm-hmm. that kind of football. No. You can't like to see two people taken out on stretchers. I, you can't like seeing three people knocked out. I you don't can't think all people like stands. it, but I think some people like it. I think some football fans watch football awesome. to see carnage, and it's the reason some NASCAR fans watch to see crashes. Great. Well, they're not going to have to worry about me waiting in line for a case of bush light and hunting equipment at Walmart because that's just not my type of football. I don't necessarily need the bush beautiful. Light. I can't it's drink the it. Top five selling beer in the country. Can't drink it. Can't drink it. Can't do it. Can't coach him. Won't do it. Won't do it. Maybe drink I it. just drink to get drunk. <laughs> I thought that it was like I want to watch football. I don't want to watch like yeah. Look, I know they're the gridiron gladiators and like oh that's real smash mouth football. We're hitting them hard. I didn't see a single good wrap-up tackle in the whole game. No, it was awful. It, I, all how I how about that sideline tackle? Stop. Head, yeah, the the only <laughs> thing close to a tackle was actually not a tackle. And it was the well. Uh, I appreciated the Le'Veon Bell fantasy points that propelled Olay, me into the, the playoffs. The Olay tackle oh, it wasn't even an Olay. It was a phantom Olay. Yeah. It was so bad. Marvin Lewis should have actually just taken off his headset, pulled the Cincinnati Bengals patch off his jacket, placed it on the sidelines of the bench, and said, I'm good. I'm done. I have no idea why he's still a head coach. I feel like on the other side, as so goes the head, so goes the rest of the body. And I feel like that's the kind of culture and that's the style of play that Mike Tomlin fosters and engenders on that team. And I hate it. I just don't like it. It's not fun to watch because there were times I actually wondered, like, Hmm, is this the first time I'm ever going to either watch somebody dead or paralyzed in front of me? I hated it. I didn't like it at all. It's certainly, look, if that's where the league is headed, 
this league is in a lot of trouble because that was not the advertisement the NFL wanted to put out on primetime. That was everything kind of from a uh, an earlier, more barbaric era of NFL football. And I'll say this. I thought Schuster's uh, foul, in some ways, I would have given him two games, one for the hit and, and one for the taunting, the standing over, that – that absolutely has to be stomped out of the game. That that taunting, let me stand over you while you're dazed and confused. Did you notice Burfecht actually tried to drag him down then? I mean, right. In his in his dazed Haze, state, yeah. he was actually still trying to you know grab uh, Schuster. Look, it, there were a lot of bad looks in that game. You would have thought, you would have thought the Shazier injury kind of was a sobering effect. And if anything, cranked it up. It seemed it jacked everybody up and it put everybody even the more on edge. Now that's that's a bitter rivalry and I I get it. And and we saw a lot of ugliness when they played in the playoffs two seasons ago mm. in that Bengals meltdown. And another by the way, another Bengals meltdown. Right. And Antonio Brown yelling karma that's, after Burfitt yeah. gets hit. And Smith Schuster, look, and now look, I, we come at it from the perspective we're recording in Foxborough. I'm a huge Pats fan. Gronk committed a you know, a borderline unforgivable egregious. Mo- an egre- yes. An egregious <laughs> act, a a moment of passion and frustration he took out on somebody. And look, he paid for it. He's out of game. And I I know he was uh, contrite immediately afterwards, apologetic. We know his coach was none too pleased about and it. And apologized to, and the, apologized other to the head coach. Uh, so that's a word s- a lot of us would have used at midfield as well, because that's exactly Should have never appealed was. it. I'm sorry. Uh, the money, I get it. It's not my money, so it's easy to say you shouldn't have appealed it. But if you knew you did wrong immediately, if your coach has to apologize to the opposing coach, you don't go procedural on, on right. me and, and appeal it then and hope it gets knocked down to save you some change. Oh, precedent is set with the Mike Evans hit and then that appeal as well. And I look, But the whole but the Schuster, like you said, him standing over him, I think that that image to me, in a year of iconic image, uh, iconic unsettling images for the NFL, that to me is the most unsettling. You know what image. it reminded me of? Jack Tatum, Daryl Stingley in 1978. That's what Jack Tatum did after he basically paralyzed Daryl Stingley. He kind of life. yeah, he stood over him, and and that's an era that has to be. Gone, 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 and I don't, you know, I don't care. Schuster's apology, yeah, but he oh, said, and he said, thoughts he and said, prayers. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to taunt him. Yes, you did. You, you stood over him. It took several seconds. You looked down. You basically beat your chest and said, "Look what I did to you." I, you know, the fact that it was perfect, and and some people say that is payback for all his um, across the line behavior. I, I don't care that. What matters to me is that the player, he, he, he lined him up, he nailed him, he stood over him, he, he celebrated the hit, and then he apologized, you know, and, and hopes it all goes away. Deserved a game, if not more. Agreed. If not more. Well, um, shame bell, Game of Thrones style for Cincinnati and Pittsburgh Monday night. Oh, and by the way, Cincinnati, you played the most Cincinnati game yep. I've ever seen since at least since that playoff since game. that playoff game. Yeah, you I, found wa- a way to lose. Don, you, listen on the head coach rankings here. Let me see where is Marvin Lewis right now. Uh, he is currently ranked way higher than he should be. He should one hundred percent. He's ranked twenty fourth. I think that's eight spots <laughs> too high. 
Yeah, I, I believe his time is done. I believe it's going to finally be uh, curtains. I like Marvin Lewis, a good man. I've, I've gotten to know him over the years. But I think 15 years, shelf life, 0-7 in the playoffs, come on. What more do you need to know? What more do you need to see? He has an undisciplined team year in and year out. You're not going to do suddenly do better work than you've already done in Cincinnati. That, that needs to start over. Um, speaking of starting over, uh, Eli Manning is back in the lineup. So let me get this straight. New oh, York the Giants. ovation he's going to get. The ovation he's going to get from people who listen to Mike Francesa all day. But, Big Blue's back, Don. Here we go. But stand back and see this whole disaster in its in its entirety. Entirely. Never mind. They basically said, never mind. You know, we just screwed all this up. We we snapped the streak. Look again. I I'm not saying. Eli didn't deserve to have his his playing time perhaps impacted. But to go through all that and then just fire the coach and the GM like they were going to do anyway, like they should have done before, and put Eli back in, what was that all about? What was the point? Remember a couple of years ago when Armando Galarraga threw what should have been a perfect game for Detroit? Yes. And the umpire screwed up a play. Jim Joyce. Jim Joyce, thank you. Now, all of us that remember that game that are big baseball fans basically still think Armando Galarraga threw a perfect game. Even though technically in Cooperstown it doesn't say he did, we know he did. Same way that Eli Manning doesn't have a streak that a goes streak. beyond two. He still has a streak. I mean, come on. Yeah. They wanted to get a look at They knew they, they had to go, be procedural and go through Geno Smith before they started Davis Webb, which was the look they wanted. And if that's the look they wanted, they should have just put him in in a fourth quarter of a couple of games, let Eli play if they were losing. This was the, I mean, he actually hastened his own firing. That's all he did. Yeah. Yep. And, and from the way, I think somebody put it best this week, that not only should that have happened a couple of games ago, why in the world uh, an offensive mastermind, per se, or like an offensive whiz kid like Ben McAdoo, loses the entire secondary over the course of a season? Everybody in the secondary, aside from Landon Collins, either was suspended or mouthed off and walked away from him. What the hell was he doing? Not, uh, not remotely dealt with well. And, you know, in some ways, all John Mara and Steve Tisch are doing are kind of covering their butt and aiming it at McAdoo and Reese when they screwed up as much as anybody by letting McAdoo and Reese create this situation with the Eli benching in a ham-handed way. So a mess, a total mess. Um, what do you do next year? Is it the Davis Webb's team? Do they have to try to recruit somebody right, to come in have, there as a stop? I think do they're going to have the number Keenum? three pick, and I think they're going to take a quarterback. I think that's what's going to happen. Interesting on who might end up there. I'll I'll give you two names for the – coaching job and the GM job that I think make an awful lot of sense. One, obviously, no-brainer. I think Josh McDaniels is going to get play He's in already New York. denying it. Well, but look, that's one of the franchises that I think, you know, Bill Belichick will say, look, they're, they are patient. I know this this was a, a two-and-done for McAdoo, not even. But by by historically speaking, they are patient. It's an organization you want to work for. I think McDaniels has restored his the luster, yeah, he has with his with the job he, he's done. I also think if you if you think defense, you're going to look in division and think Jim Schwartz. You're going to weaken the Eagles. Um, it's a good call, and I think Jim Schwartz has done some really solid work the last two years in rehabbing his reputation. I think Jim Schwartz or Josh McDaniels makes sense. I think the the GM opening, the name I keep hearing. They might go after Eric DaCosta, the longtime assistant general manager in Baltimore, Ozzie Newsom's right-hand man, great personnel guy. 
has been the heir apparent now for six, seven years waiting for Ozzy to retire. And just like Jimmy G waited for right. TB12 to move on and all Brady did was get better. DaCosta and the way he's watched Ozzy Newsom put together that ferocious Baltimore-style team, if you will, with the teeth on that defense, if you marry that to Jim Schwartz's aggressive styling, that's that's Giants football to me. Yeah, and I think, look, DaCosta loves Baltimore. He's very comfortable there. He may be hesitant. Again, he's had a lot of other, not offers, but overtures and, and chances to interview. Um, but the Giants may intrigue him. The Giants may be that opening again, that, that stability and consistency and the structure that may tempt him, especially if it's perhaps a, a Josh McDaniels. The other name I am starting to hear is Dave Gettleman, the former longtime Giants personnel man turned Carolina Panther GM, booted out rather unceremoniously. Uh, what, when was it? I think uh, that was in August. June? Or June that, or August? Yeah, it was over the summer. Yeah, so Dave Gettleman makes some sense as a shorter-term option. DaCosta is somebody that could be there a while. Again, Schwartz and McDaniels make an awful lot of sense. And whoever comes in can also basically paint their own picture and stock their own pantry, if you will, because now that McAdoo basically took the sword for you right. by sitting Eli down and letting everyone know that internally they were displeased with his play, and it wasn't just oh, look, all my wide receivers got hurt, and I don't have an offensive line. I think Eli's moving on. I think that's going to be, as they say uh, in Hollywood, that's going to be a page one rewrite. Well, so don't trust my take on the Giants, because apparently I've I've had takes on the Giants that were wrong in the uh, past. Is that what you're saying? Every now and again, uh, there may or may not be uh, a, a fun follow on Twitter, hmm. free, freezing cold takes. Okay. Uh, and they called you out. They uh, found me. Yeah, and the best thing is somebody found this tweet and then tweeted at me as well. So I ended up getting it saying, like, why don't you talk to Don in the podcast this I week saw about it. it. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. What, um, and what was my take? January 9th, 2016, in the long run, Eagles might be wiser to take a chance on Ben McAdoo, who the Giants really love and might hire themselves, weaken a rival. Okay. In fairness, <laughs> I comes. get you. I love it. In get- fairness. Riled up banks. Here we Listen, go. Listen, a um, year ago, not even, the guy was 11-5 and five and was getting Coach of the Year buzz, and they were saying it was a great hire. No one, repeat, no one said Ben McAdoo was in trouble or on the hot seat at the beginning of the season. I realize... He just pulled a full Hindenburg as a coach's coaching profession goes. You're putting it mildly. But that is not a freezing cold take because, in reality, McAdoo's reputation was far exceeding uh, Doug Peterson's coaching reputation as a head coach uh, when I wrote that. So I understand the game. Expose a cold take. I've had far colder takes than that, and I promise you I will again in the future. All right, we can now bring in our guest. Uh, We are joined now on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens uh, by a good friend of mine and a guy that I've covered for an awful long time, Don Yee. Everyone in Patriots world knows him as the agent for Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Jimmy Garoppolo, once upon a time about half the New England roster. Don, welcome to the Cover 2 podcast uh, with Banks and Stevens. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's good to be with you. I know you're up early out in L.A. Um, First of all, we wanted to get your take on a football matter. Sure. Jimmy Garoppolo's starting debut for the San Francisco 49ers at Chicago. I was impressed. I know it was only five field goals, but I just thought he had he played with poise. He knew what that offense was about. 
he got the job done. He got the W in a um, in an environment that isn't always easy to play in. What was your take of your your client Jimmy G's first non Patriot appearance? Well, you know the team got the win, and that's always the objective. So obviously, my take would be a positive one, but. Still, it's, it was only his third NFL start, so there's a long way to go. He's got a lot of learning to do, and and, uh, and he's working hard at it. Not trying to get you to negotiate uh, his next contract on the Cover 2 podcast, but do you believe that it's a great fit for him and that there could be a long relationship here between Jimmy and the, and the Niners? Uh, yeah, sure. You're always going into these situations with a lot of optimism, but, you know, frankly, he's only been there, I think, barely over a month, and so they're still start, you know, getting to know him. And, in fact, I know John Lynch hadn't even met him before uh, physically prior to the trade, and uh, Kyle's only relationship with, with him was uh, scouting him, you know, prior to the year in which he was drafted. So they all have to, you know, spend some time getting to know each other. But uh, right now, returns look promising, but we still have a ways to go. Don, something that you have... Um you've been involved with this season that um, now I'm a little bit involved with contributing NFL content to is this new website, headcoachrankings.com. I describe it to people as kind of a pro football focus analytics site for head coaches in the NFL. You attempt to, in essence, grade and rank the 32 head coaches on Five, um, I believe, five different um, in-game pressure points. Um, tell us a little bit about them. Tell us which five uh, analytic categories you try to stick to for each game. Where did you come up with this idea? And and tell us where you see this um, this website going. Sure, uh, and thanks for asking about that. But you know, we've I've got a group of friends, and everybody's really a fan of professional football. And you know, one of the things that we really like about the game is the intellectual. Uh, aspect of the game and and all the pressures that uh, your he, you know head coaches face and all the in-game decision making uh, that they have to do and if anybody watches any uh, NFL game you know we're always asking ourselves what were the choices available to the coach at that time and so what I wanted to do actually was just try to uh, as a side project really and with a group of friends who are really interested in the coaching. Uh, profession, create a site where coaches can even learn. And, and so what we try to do is grade each NFL coach's in-game decision-making performance. And we're looking, uh, uh, trying to analyze that over five categories. What we kind of have deduced to five major categories that every head coach faces in every game. And that would be in-game adjustments, clock management, utilization of personnel, play calling, and um, game planning and game planning right and so within each of those categories there are a number of situational football circumstances that we look at and then we apply a number two and there's certainly a qualitative aspect to this as uh, there is with other analytic sites there's always a mixture of hard data as well a qualitative aspect to it and so we've been doing that since the season started and the results have been pretty interesting don sure I'd like to ask you, mm-hmm. could you could you explain sort of from from your perspective, you're obviously involved in a, a lot of facets of player development and, and the scouting and the management and reputation, and now getting involved in advanced analytics, which we've seen most pro sports go in the direction of. When, you, when you're as heavily involved as you are, how, how much of what you do is now advanced analytics, and how much of it is actually just experience, uh, passing the eye test, 
and gut, you know, sort of like working with both your head and your heart in terms of player development, management, and reputation? uh, reputation. That's a really good question. That's a really, really good question. Um, Well, there's always a mixture of both, and depending on the particular situation, you know, that mixture can change. And so, you know, there's, in, in, in the position I'm in, you know, I, I would not, uh, you know, I'm not at the forefront of where the industry is going. And by that, uh, I mean that essentially the ownership, general managers, head coaches, in my view at least, they kind of drive the game. So if, for example, those decision makers have uh, drawn a conclusion that we are going to use analytics in such a manner, then someone in my position, we kind of have to respond to that to a large degree. But at the same time, there is still an art to it. And so, you know, a, a lot, it does take a lot of experience, in my view, to kind of understand when to look at the hard data and when not to, or when to combine them in such a way that gives you a reasonable conclusion. Don, I, I can't help but, um, you know, think that people will quickly think that this is tied by and large, to a one-loss record. Well, there's Bill Belichick at number one. There's Doug Peterson at number two. There's Sean Payton at number three. Tell us where that's wrong in theory and in, in what you're attempting to do. Because Kyle Shanahan is 2-10, and 10, I believe, and there he is at number about 13 or so. So tell us exactly how this does not hew to a one-loss record perspective. Sure. There are many instances where a head coach – really is a solid in-game decision-maker. It's just that perhaps he's saddled with a slightly inferior roster or maybe a rash of injuries have hit the team, or perhaps maybe there was a significant weather event during the game. There are many factors, obviously, that can affect the outcome of a game that are beyond a head coach's uh, control. But what we're really trying to look at is you know, how consistent and sound were the decisions that were made during the game and only in the game to make sure that his team was as competitive as possible under the circumstances presented to him. And so, you know, when we uh, started on this project, the goal was really to focus on strictly in-game decision-making. We understand that there are a number of instances where, for example, a coach might have made a great strategic call on a particular down and distance, but maybe the players didn't execute and it just looked bad but the coach actually performed well and was probably the right uh, decision. And so what we've tried to attempt to do is just create what's equivalent to a quarterback rating or passer rating for head coaches so fans can kind of gauge one head coach versus another relative to their in-game decision-making prowess. We're joined by Don Yee, longtime NFL agent, uh, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, among others, on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Don's talking about headcoachrankings.com, a new analytical website that attempts to grade and assign a numerical value each week uh, based on a head coach's in-game performance. I'm interested to know, Don, what has been – you have so many sources within the league. What has been the early feedback, reaction, return in terms of what you're attempting to do and bring analytics to head coaching? Surprisingly, it's been uh, consistently positive, and many have actually said we're really surprised that nobody's thought of this before. Uh, and I want to make one point clear. You know, the site, we're not going to engage in, in any kind of snark or, you know, what the, the, the tone of the site 
will be one of professionalism, and we really respect the coaching profession. They all have a very hard job. They're all dealing with variables that are outside of their control. And if you really think about it, um, there's not a lot of jobs in America where every decision they make is dissected. And so all we're trying to do is pull back the curtain and try to understand, based on the information these head coaches had to them, had you know had at the time they made the decision under the pressure, how sound was the decision? And a couple of you know recent examples come to mind. You know, for example, I think it was uh, the Cardinals had a game against the Jaguars. Uh, Jaguars playing at the Cardinals and. And the Jaguars had an opportunity to push that game into overtime on the road, and and there was an end of game sequence that even Doug Marone admitted that he probably didn't handle as well as he could have. And so those are the kinds of things we try to rate, apply a numerical value to. And uh, but the response has been very positive. I think this website may actually push a lot of different coaches and coaching staffs to start employing the Andy Reid clock managers and the Ernie Adams here in New England and the, the people, the specialists that'll help the coaches make the kinds of decisions that they've probably wanted to make or knew that they needed a little help making because the game's only getting faster and the game's getting more rule laden and it's getting more complicated. They should have taken this step a long time they ago. Should, this, I, I, I too am one of the many that is surprised there was not a pro football focus for head coaching. Uh, Don, as the ranking Patriots superfan here on the Cover 2 sure. podcast, I feel as though it is my duty to ask the question that's probably on every Patriot listener's mind. How awesome was it at one point to be sitting on two aces, basically to be representing... Well, what was it like? Was it ever in the least bit awkward or a little like fabulous, but at the same time weird to be to be representing the greatest quarterback of all time, and then what we thought to be his heir apparent, and now the heir apparent in the team that Tom Brady grew up rooting for? Was there ever any conflict of interest, or was it ever in the least bit weird? Uh, well, first of all, you know that's a great question. Uh, first of all, you know it's a great privilege. Really, I, I'm can't tell you how uh, lucky uh, I always feel and blessed to you know to be around the quality of people that I get to be around. And you got uh, the handsomest arsenal of quarterbacks <laughs> that you represent too. There's, it's really, you know, it's really probably really not his interest. Two <laughs> incredible, incredible people, and and you know someday you know when it's really written about what you know they they are like, and and you know particularly Tom, you know. Um, the longevity of his career. I mean, they really are very just good people. And so when you ask me what is it like, I just feel very lucky, you know, and um, they're both very intelligent, very grounded, and uh, both understand the business part of the game. And so that, you know, when people ask me that question, the fir- my first response is always is that I just feel lucky. Nick, I guess to draw two aces, you have to be lucky, right? Nick is a super fan. I would, I would <laughs> underline that. That's his shtick. Don, a quick <laughs> update, if if you could give us. Um, sure. You were in the news last January with a pretty yes. big announcement. Pacific Pro Football. If people don't know what that is, it's going to be a four-team developmental league um, that really could act as a feeder system for the NFL, not just the collegiate feeder system, but this is for players not yet eligible for the NFL, yes, uh, not yet hit that three years out of high school threshold, who mm-hmm. don't, who maybe forego the college ball route, the traditional route. This could replace kind of a JUCO route. 
Um, it, it, you know, it comes to mind the Maurice Claret and Mike Williams of USC could have used this league back in 04 when they were challenging the NFL. Could you give us a bit of an update? Now, it was scheduled to begin in 2018. Are yep. you still on track for that? We are at the moment. Uh, there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, it's been arduous. Uh, the reception has been overwhelmingly positive from all sectors of the football industry, but there are a lot, there are a lot of moving parts to try to get something of this uh, magnitude going, but we are working on it daily. I've got a great team. Uh, we actually have um, a number of NFL ownership groups that are bullish uh, on the project, and so uh, we're going to continue working on this because we do see a need in the system for this. This would be the first professional league available for those players not yet eligible for the NFL. It would give players coming out of high school, or whether in their community college or uh, not neither, or playing Division One. it would give players a choice uh, as to what they would like to do uh, as they continue their football journey. And we see a divergence between the style of play in college football and professional football. And we feel there are a number of players that really want to hone their, polish their professional football skills, but they really don't have a place to go to do that. Um, the other aim for us really would be to also help players start creating a life path for themselves outside of football. And we think that we can do that within the traditional academic system as well as outside of the traditional academic system. And the last objective of the league really would be to play a safer brand of football. We think we can innovate rules, changes to make the game safer. And I might add, um, this would be a, a kind of a spring-summer league schedule, correct? Summer league? Uh, we would play only in July and August, actually, right. right after the NBA Finals end. And we would end our season uh, before college football and the National Football League and begin. This is not an idea the NFL is against, per se. Now, that they haven't climbed on board and said, we support this. But your your early feedback has been that they see value in this, correct? Yeah, we, we, we've gotten uh, overwhelming support, really. And frankly, it was uh, um, surprising. You know, we felt initially when I thought about this several years ago, I thought, well, maybe there will be some initial resistance. Uh, but I, I believe that all sectors of the football industry are seeing uh, this as a supplemental product, which is how we view it uh, as well. And there are a lot, there's a lot of talent out there, and there's only so many places where they actually get a chance to play, as well as, well as play a specific brand of football, which is an NFL professional style of football. I love hearing, Don, that you want to take what I would call a farm-to-table approach with football playing and football development, make it a safer game, give them a place to hone their skills, because I feel like that's the one thing the NFL has really been lacking. We've seen NFL Europe, obviously, XFL, USFL, every, every sort of startup uh, to try to either, I don't know, I wouldn't say groom a competitor, but give people an alternative to watch football and, and for football players to develop their skills. Because sometimes these kids, they play a year or two, then they get thrust into this game, everyone's twice as fast, twice as strong, and then they flame out in two or three years. That's a great point, Nick. And those leagues that you referenced, right, you know, lots of those leagues um, were created for players who already had exhausted their college football eligibility. So what they had done was they had basically spent a number of their formative years after high school playing a game according to rules and protocols that were different than what their destination was. And so essentially 
you know, they were groomed to do one thing, but then essentially, you know, they wanted to try to get a job doing something else. So what we wanted want to do is provide a place for players to start learning professional protocols right away so that by the time they're actually eligible for the NFL draft, they already have the necessary skills. Wrapping up with Don Yee on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Don, I have to get your quick take, 20 seconds or less. The MVP award, uh, we've had a lot of discussions over the years. It's, it generally goes to sometimes the new face. Wondering, it's starting to become consensus that the three really serious candidates this year are Tom Brady, your client, Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, and Russell Wilson, the Seahawks quarterback. Give me your top three in some order at the moment in your MVP rankings. Well, I, you know, I'm going to have to recuse, obviously, <laughs> Don. But look, you know, they're all great players, and, and you know, the people that uh, do the choosing, it's it's a uh, a hard job, you know, to try to parse parse it all out. But you know, they're they're all deserving as as well as there's you know other candidates uh, out there as well. All right. Don, thanks so much. We appreciate the time. We're looking forward to seeing what comes next with HeadCoachRankings.com and Pacific Pro Football. Uh, You've got a lot on your plate, but appreciate making time for the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens this morning. Be well. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Thank you, Don. That's Don Yee. You know what he calls me? He's called me Banksy. He gets away with that for, Banksy. for 26 years. Banksy. Well, well, you are a bit of an alternative countercultural artist. That's what I think. A yeah. Street artist. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but now, I, see, was, I was Banksy before Banksy. Just right. know that. So. I, now, I love hearing about his approach with this Pacific Football League and the idea that it's not just uh, I'm looking to create like a little like a farm league, but like to teach people the fundamentals. Like he really hit home, and I, I it's, it's smart. It, it's a smart it's, approach. It's really smart. There is a market for it, and I think coming off of the way we opened the show today, I don't think we could have had on a more relevant guest because he spoke to everything that I was right. talking about, and that turned me a lifetime football fan who can't consume enough off given. The Monday night bat- uh, battle melee ga- gang fight that was between the Bengals and the Steelers. Absolutely, no. I think I think it's got a lot of validity because I think there is a market of player, frankly, that doesn't. They go to college. They don't have any interest in being in college. They they want to get on with chasing a professional football career. This gives them at least a viable, you know, a short term uh, season to get noticed by the NFL, to develop their game, to learn professional. There is a lot of ways that the college football game doesn't get you ready for the pro game. It's similar, but it's become more similar with the pro-style offenses. But at the same but you time— you still hear the spread offenses and the right. offensive linemen with their hands not on the ground. You still hear a lot of that. What they're, what they're trying to do with Pacific Pro Football is teach the way the pro game is, is actually played once right. you get to the— uh, the next level. It's like as a little like bit of say. a finishing school almost in a lot right, of ways. Right, and I, and I think if the gameplay is even decent given people's lust for football, if it's quality play and you know that it's actually going to become a feeder or a relevant part of the NFL. Look, I don't watch NBA D-League. Every, uh, minor League Baseball is fun to attend. Glad to hear you don't watch D-League yeah, Baseball. Yeah, I'm not, no. I, I just thought sec- I would bring that up. Security. Because I would go one, two, three. If you did, exactly. I would call security. Um, so would I. I don't watch the EHL. I don't watch the you know, international hockey. But I would watch football that I knew contributed to better gameplay in the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, I forgot to ask him, I was going to say, 
I'll know that head coach rankings have made it when he gets the first head coach calling to complain about their ranking. Right. I wonder if that's already happened. I'll, 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 I'll go on a limb and say probably not. But when Andy Reid picks up the phone and says, come on, Don. Come on, I, Banks. I can't be 16th. Bank, I'm, I'm Banksy, you're killing me. Yeah, I, I think that's when this website will truly be recognized right. and accepted. Well, I can't wait till somebody asks Belichick. And yeah. he's like, Coach, did you realize yeah. that you actually fell from first to third this week on headcoachranking.com? Yeah. We I don't have time for that. Yeah, I don't, We're just I don't, trying to get I don't, better. I don't really do rank face or we're my try, rank. We're trying to get better. So, um, yeah, that'll that'll be a great question to, to toss up. Yeah, he's, please, somebody out there. Pull the please, pin, yeah. lob it over the wall, and then duck and cover. Duck and cover. <laughs> right, exactly. All uh, right. I'll, also, can we just say one thing? Don, Don I, from his firm, the representation, the developmental league, and he's just sharp as can be, and yep. obviously he gets all facets of his side of the game. At the same time, every now and again, you just you put $25 down on a number on roulette, and it hits. I mean, like the fact he went, he took the chance on Tom. No wonder why he Tom Brady is showing the Brady royalty. He recruited Tom Brady at Michigan when very few were were even attempting to do it. I bet he has number one nine nine tattooed on his shoulder, the <laughs> inside should. of his wrist. He should. He should. He and, really should. And twelve on the other. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and, but but good for him. And then of course that probably brings into the fold some of the guys that Brady says, you know, you can trust my guy and. That's sometimes you, that's you, what it you takes. know it probably plays fairly well when they say who's Brady's agent by the way oh okay oh yeah it's worked for him hey you could set that up maybe to Tom so, could you set that up for me I'm sure it helped with Garoppolo no he doubt gets to go over and have those uh, vegan tacos at Tom's house when he's in town <laughs> no doubt um, all right we're we're gonna look ahead quickly to uh, week. 14 I can't believe it it's uh, it always it seems like it takes forever to get to week nine or so mm-hmm. and then it's just it's just a blur after that Thanksgiving on is a just a race it's just the numbers then you know you go oh we got eight down and nine to go but once you get to nine down and eight to go it picks up exponential speed and so now here we are 13 down four to go and those December weeks go quickly for all the reasons of, of uh, how busy we are and how much shopping and all that good stuff. But week 14 has some very good games. Um, let's start off with Minnesota Carolina, uh, two teams that have every right to believe they're going to the dance. But you've got the Vikings now, uh, unbelievably, as the top seed, the Philadelphia Eagles, which we just thought we were going to have them there at number one and leave them all season. They lose on strength of schedule tiebreaker right now. So the, the Vikings have scaled the mountain for the moment and are at the number one seed trying to get that home field advantage in the Super Bowl. It was a little bit of, um, I think maybe Sunday night was good for the Eagles. I mean, uh, I agree. Can, can, a win, can a loss become a win? They needed to play that game, make those mistakes, and learn from it. Because if they coasted in at 15-1, and one, that's dangerous. I would have picked them for a first-round upset. Yeah, as Just I like did, Green Bay did against the Giants six years ago. And as I did Dallas last year at 13-3 and three mm-hmm. with all hiccups and giggles all season long, and then they came in and played that first high-intensity playoff atmosphere game against the Packers team that had to win for its playoff life uh, for three or four weeks. They weren't ready. No. So that's you're right. I think Philly may gain from that they clearly looked like they were playing a little safe in the first half mm-hmm. whereas the Seahawks were going this is our Super Bowl we've got to let it all out on the field yeah uh, who do you like in Minnesota Carolina I I actually think I'm gonna go 
with Carolina to win this game. It feels Carolina like needs it more. It, they do need it more. They have to stay ahead of Atlanta. They're they're Carolina's eight and four. Atlanta's seven and five. Green Bay, Dallas, Detroit, all six and six. I think Carolina does need this a little more, and they're coming off a loss. So give give the check to the more desperate team. All right, we didn't really get into the whole train wreck that is the AFC West, but I'm always fascinated by divisions like this. All three teams, six and six. Who wants it least or more or both? It's the mild, mild West. Uh, But Oakland at Kansas City is already this week a um, maybe not an elimination game, but somebody's going to be behind the eight ball because Kansas City has the Chargers the following week. So this is the Chiefs' chance right now to regain their composure, beat the two teams that they're tied with, and restore some order to their world. Let's see if they can do it. Oakland at Kansas City. Remember, they've already played once, and Oakland won that epic 31-30 Thursday night game that would not end, had about six final plays Mm -hmm. in the Oakland end zone before the the final penalty for It was the last dropped. good game Michael Crabtree played. Yeah. Last good game Cooper played. That was the one where people said, can you have a bad game where you have 200 yards receiving? He missed a bunch of... Now, they could be... Listen, what's to stop the Kansas City death spiral at this point? 5-0, and now 6-6. Six and six. Last week, at least, they put up some points. Travis Kelsey had him a day. Yeah, it wasn't Alex Smith last week. No, it was uh, giving up 38 to the break up the Jets. Uh, really, this, the Josh McCown freight train just blew straight through. Yeah, the Jets are the best 5-7 and seven team in the AFC. It's I'm unbelievable. You, Todd Bowles deserves good some good coach, on him. coach of the year award. Good on him. He, he I, deserves some votes. He, without a doubt, deserves consideration. Best but, throw of the week, though, was undoubtedly Marcus Peters with the penalty flag. Oh, 100%. The kid that caught it was priceless. Good for him. Wow, Peters is a real wild card, huh? But who's to say... That this is where the Chiefs restore order. If Crabtree and Cooper come back in now, with Jared Cook playing good ball and Marshawn Lynch still up, still upright, why, why am I to think that Kansas City now is just going to restore order and uh, win this game twenty-seven thirteen? There's nothing over the last month and a half. I can't believe now how anomalous it makes their early season success look. I don't trust Oakland, but I may take Oakland in this game because they have a modicum. Uh, of momentum, I think they've they've won the last two, so they're starting to put a little together. Uh, I just don't right now. Kansas City is is an absolute mess. Then the last big game of the weekend, and I might have missed one, but I think Philadelphia at the L.A. Rams. Obviously, it's a potential NFC title game mm-hmm. preview. Um, but this is a monster game. The the Eagles stayed out in Southern California all week working at. Uh, Anaheim Stadium, as mm-hmm. uh, as I recall, home to Mike Trout, the world's biggest Eagles fan, by the way. World's biggest Eagles fan. Well, he's from New Jersey. He's always right. he's always at Eagles games. He's a huge Eagles fan. So he lent him. Uh, he lent Basically them. Basically said, uh, yeah, you so, can use our place. So sh- and, uh, crash at our place. Yeah, Mr. Moreno told me it's fine. Go ahead. Exactly. I own this Arnie, house anyway. Or Ar- Artie. Or yeah, whatever. Artie as I call him. Artie. Yeah. So, so the Eagles look mortal, and they lose by 14. And here come the Rams. Um Number three seed, nine and three. Look, if Philadelphia doesn't get this game, you know what could happen? Suddenly, they're in the third seed position. The Rams are number two, and the Eagles are looking to have to play a first round game. Now, that's going to be a shock to some people's systems in mm-hmm. Philly because this thing has looked like the Super Bowl Express for about seven or eight weeks now. How about Minnesota possibly being a win away from being able to hold the home field 
throughout all playoffs card. Right. I kind of want to see it. I re- yeah. Now, like as much as I've been on this Eagles bandwagon and they were my NFC Super Bowl team, I really, really would love to see one team finally just run it straight through. Yeah, and stay home. It'd be great. Uh, entire- that environment would be ridiculous and who doesn't want to go to minnesota in, in, in early february in january where everyone february. goes it's the new it's the new midwestern riviera actually i love that town i, I lived there for five years so do well, i uh i listen if we go if they go yeah if the patriots go and somehow i can go either from radio i'm or going here, either way by the way uh, i will so take you, know. you to st paul for the best burger you've had where is it i probably went there uh it's a place that makes these juicy lucy's uh casper okay. casper and uh someone's uh the nook in st paul i have a, i have a few oh. go-to places in minneapolis that's a uh, good eating town but you know we're even overlooking in this game it's jared goff versus carson wentz yeah one two in the 2016 NFL draft. Two star young quarterbacks didn't look that way last year, but this year, golf versus Wentz uh, should get the full blown hype treatment because that is a monster game mm-hmm. uh, for the NFL to publicize. And might I also add that uh, I'm going to hate watch the Ravens at Steelers because it's basically going to be um, if anyone out there who's a fan of kung fu films, if if Bengals Steelers was the raid. This will be raid to redemption. It's just going to be another. You would think that both. It's going to be another three-hour car accident. Well, you would think both teams are now so under a microscope after the Bengals Steelers game. Going to play how they're going to play. They can't possibly color outside the lines. In some ways, I think it it only increases. Color outside the lines. They're going to burn the book. (laughs) Well. I get it, but like that would be then the league could really bring the hammer down, and that could hurt Pittsburgh going into the New England game, right? Because now they're already sitting Smith Schuster for that game, right? Uh, if they play like that, I mean Ryan Shazier, as of recording of the podcast, still hospitalized. Yep, which yep. is and that was that was scary. I mean, we we're talking about a game where we're not even addressing the fact that Joe Mixon was knocked out for a minute and a half. Right, right. And like when when a guy being knocked out for a minute and Doesn't a half even becomes make the, a, an afterthought uh, subhead again it's just not my kind of football last little looks uh, good Thursday night start off to the week Don Saints Falcons yeah Falcons that's true. playing for their lives that's true now the Saints really have a path to that division title after beating Carolina because they basically have a two game lead over the Panthers. But they play Atlanta twice in the next three weeks, so Atlanta can still be heard from, but they're going to have to sweep the Saints if they want to win the NFC South. Uh, can I th- just throw this out there? Not only Kamara, Rookie of the Year, I think he's that much of a difference maker. I'd put him in top five balloting for MVP. That kid has made a massive, from when they traded Peterson, yeah. first of all, personnel decision of the year, trade a top 10 all-time running back from your team and open things up for Ingram and Kamara. The way Kamara has come on has obviously opened up that team given them, vaulted them to the lead, and made him a must-watch every week. Yeah, I would add he's still a complimentary back. He's because 8.4 yards a touch. Yeah, it'll work. He's, he's over he's 600 right. yards receiving, 600 yards rushing. I think the first since uh, Charlie Taylor did that in 1964. What if he touches 1,000 each for his rookie season? Oh, Billy Sims did it yeah. as well. Uh, you know what? The other game, strangely, I'm going to watch is the Packers-Browns. One. Me too. It's actually one of the last best chances for the Cleveland to get a win. They still play Chicago as well at Chicago. But secondly, this is the last game, ostensibly, of the Brett Hundley uh, pinch-hitting appearance for uh, Aaron Rodgers. It's not really an era or an experience. It's kind, <laughs> it's, of, it's kind of a thing. It's it's a uh, what what it's an intermission, I guess. Right. It's Interim. interlude. Yeah. Interlude. Interlude. A uh, uh, Hundley interlude. Fair enough. Um, so 
if they can get this one to get to seven and six, now things get interesting because now Captain Superman is mm-hmm. on his way back, and I don't think it's an easy uh, uh, haul. But if he could go three and zero, oh, if the Packers get to ten and six, that that, that probably gets it done. I would love few things more than seeing the Packers beat the Browns. Ooh, and then they got two wicked yeah. road games yeah, and a do. tough home game. It's not easy. No, that is a tough road to hoe right like there. Especially with Aaron 13 the screws. Good luck, Aaron. Here you toss go, buddy. The keys, yeah. By the way, the offensive line is still in tatters. Who do they play? Uh, we can't the, name anyone on our own defense. Who's the last three okay, games? Okay, so they go at Browns, then at Panthers. Right, not easy. Short week. Uh, oh, this is a pl- – oh, boy. Talk about my plans are already made. Saturday, December 23rd, 8.30 p.m., Vikings at Packers. Right. At Packers. Now, see, I need them to win those two. See, as fan, I need the Packers to win these next that, two games. That game needs to be So meaningful. there's juice on yep. December 23rd, Saturday Night Football. And then I who do they Saturday wrap up football. in Week 17? At the Lions on Christmas Eve. Not easy either. No. So. But if, as you called him, Captain Superman, which yeah. I'm going to run with, yeah. if, if Rodgers can do this, what more s- surging, compelling line of st- storyline would there be in the postseason that Aaron Rodgers saves the season? And then who'd want to play the Packers? So you're saying there's a chance. That's all you need. You want me to throw this football over those mountains? Because <laughs> he can. If Uncle Rico can come in and do his job, man. I have to admit, I like the dog commercial, Aaron Rodgers and the dog. That's um, he's. You know what? He's sneaky good in his commercials. He really is. He's uh, he's subtle good. He, he he's 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 not Peyton esque just yet. But he's got a nice comic touch with the commercial. Packers' simple path to victory. Let's Mike. go, insurance and justice. Let's go. Yeah, goal, Pack, goal. I'll tell you. No, the, that's that was Peyton. Oh, yeah, I know. Was I was Peyton. just getting. I was just sort of like that. That wasn't his best work, though. Cut that meat. Sandwich. Cut that meat. Now that I did enjoy. Uh, I auditioned for that commercial. Uh, I got to say, if Mike McCarthy would just do all of us football fans and his own team a favor. And don't be Mike McCarthy. Get out of his own way and just say, look, I got three good running backs now that can pretty much score from any point on the field. I got three good running backs, three three good wide receivers, and I've got the return of Captain Superman. Just go score 40. If we I, give up 35, that's fine. Go did, score 40. I did mix my superhero. That's, no, but he's doubly good. That's priceless. why. It's priceless. All right, that's a wrap for the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens for Week 14. Nick, I've got a story I want you to read okay. coming out on Bleacher Report on Friday. It is a very fun ride. It's a f- oral history of the Cleveland Browns quarterback position. I talked to uh, people as far back as Tim Couch, Kelly Holcomb, Jeff Garcia, Derek Anderson, a lot of executives. It's going to be a good read. Uh, the whole 19-year train wreck of the Cleveland Browns quarterback That's position. M- must read. It'll be fun, I promise. We'll tweet uh, it out. At Don Banks on Twitter, you are? At Ahoy Nick Stevens. Until next week, thanks Don Yee for being our guest on the Cover 2 Podcast. Kevin Collins, our producer. Yet another one in the books. Onward we go. Talk to you next week. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 Podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. It's diving to the goal line. It's going. A touchdown. It's and a title for the Patriots. It. I can't believe it.
They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.